The Sports Walk is back. Watch season four of Backpack Broadcasting's original award-winning web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans in these streets, literally in these streets. The first three seasons and current season with new episodes every Monday are available now on the Backpack Broadcasting YouTube channel. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy, y'all. Just take the sports walk. Podcast episode 201. Dexter Henry, Brian Fonseca here. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. A lot to talk about on this episode. Excited about it. At least I am excited about a new album that's dropped. Can't stop playing it. Also, we're going to talk about NBA, what we've learned in the first month of the season, mm. and why the Mets front office seems to be messing up. And I'm being nice with the word messing up there. A lot of that to talk about. But last Friday, Dropping was the album I waited all year for. A little disappointed it didn't drop in a way I would have wanted to. I would have rather these guys had dropped the album out the blue. Kind of disappointed didn't do that. But the Silk Sonic album, new album from Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, Evening with Silk Sonic dropped. Uh, from the time Leave the Door Open, dropped, which I believe that was in February or March, earlier this year. Uh, these years feel so long recently. Damn, it was that uh, long ago already? It was that long ago for that first single. They dropped that. Loved that song. Was really excited for this album. Dropped, as I said, on Friday. Nine tracks, eight songs in an intro. Tight 30 minutes. Y'all, if you listen to this podcast, you know how I feel about that. You know I like the tighter albums. And I'm not going to get to how I feel about this album first. I'm going to kick it to Brian. Uh, on this to hear how he's felt with it. I've sat with it more, and a lot of that has been because I've had the ability to drive and listen to it, and I've done a lot of driving over the last three or four days. So I've really listened to this. I've listened to it on the headphones, on the train. I've listened to it in the whip. I've had. I've listened to it in the crib. I have a variety of listening options sitting with this album. But Brian, what do you think about an evening with Silk Sonic? I, like you, was looking forward to this because I hold... Anderson Pack in particular in very high regard. Uh, Bruno Mars as well, though I'm more of an Anderson Pack guy, as we talked about. Malibu was my album of the year whenever that came out. Feels like so long ago. Um, and I enjoyed it. I have one skip, one skip on the album, I will Ooh. say. Uh, a lot of people, I saw that they were saying they had no skips. And then I saw other people saying, eh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was um, kind of a, not a parody, but, you know, not really... Um, some, not really what they envisioned when these two uh, paired up, right? Um, and I'm not going to go necessarily track by track here, but I will say that Leave the Door Open uh, continues to be a standout for me. I played that a lot when it came out. Uh, I thought it was a great record. Thundercat and Boosie Collins joint after last night. That's, That's that is one. That is that might be my favorite on this whole album when I listen to it. Like Boosie Collins has a song in Grand Theft Auto, and like, for whatever reason, the last eight years or so, 
I've periodically sort of exposed myself to Bootsy Collins ever since because I had known of him growing up, but not like that. And then when you hear somebody in a video game, at least for me in particular, like it sort of sort of introduces you uh, or makes you want to introduce yourself to that person in that sort of space. Um, and then there were a couple other joints that I really liked. Uh, I think uh, Put On A Smile was a really strong one too. But yeah, look, I thought it was very good. I thought it was very enjoyable. I think that this is one of those projects that people are going to like. And I think this is going to be one of those projects that some other people are going to be overly critical of, um, mm -hmm. you know, in certain spaces because of uh, what what they want it to be. And it doesn't quite represent something, I guess, to everybody's standard. For me in particular, though, like I enjoyed it. It's It's a very good listen. And I definitely come away with it being like, OK, I definitely want a second one because I feel like there's more to do. Right. I feel like there's another level that this can even get to, um, particularly with, you know, Anderson Pack, uh, maybe perhaps leading the way a little bit more on some joints. Because it does feel it does feel like a very Bruno Mars ish album featuring Anderson Pack at times, which would be, I guess, one of my criticisms of it. Right. I'd like to see Anderson Pack sort of be the front man a little bit more um, throughout the album. Because I just like him more, perhaps. So maybe that's just a taste thing for me. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm more of an Anderson than Bruno guy, but I re I did really like Bruno Mars' last album, uh, 24 Karat Magic, which in the same vein as this album was a pastiche album, meaning an album that sort of recreates a certain type of sound or from, a, from an artist or artists, uh, maybe in the way you look at Amy Winehouse's Back to Black, which is another fantastic album like that. Woo! Not necessarily. Yes. Not necessarily. I don't want to compare the two. Not this album and Silk Sonic's even with Silk so Evening with Silk Sonic by Silk Sonic does not have. I think the lyrical depth that a Back to Black has. But I don't think this album was necessarily supposed to be that. I've seen that somebody's criticisms that they wanted some deeper songs about love. There seemed to be two guys exploring a sound from a time that I actually really love. So that's actually one of my big connections with the album. I love this sound. I love the classic soul sound of the late 60s, early 70s. Um, I love the instrumentation. That's why I leave the door open. The drumming on this album to me by Anderson Pack, which if you are a fan of him, you come for that, is fantastic. I think it's really, really good. I'm with Brian on that. If there's one criticism, I think you would like to see a little bit more AP influence in this. Uh, Brian, did you tell me what your skip was? What was your skip on the album? I didn't, I didn't hear that. What was the skip? Um, I'm pretty sure if I'm, I'm looking at the track list and I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure it was 777. See, it's interesting because I feel like that song is the most Anderson Pack sounding song on the album, right? It's really funky up tempo, but I can see how it's a little bit more of a quiet taste. I like it. I happen to like it. It's, it's like a fun song. I don't dislike it, but for me, it's just like, I'm, I'm doing the, the Spotify test where it's like, all right, I'm streaming it. And then. I'm pu you put the heart on the whole album to begin with, and then I sort of remove ones that I don't think I'm going to really re revisit like that. And I also have just a shit ton of songs uh, saved on Spotify where it's like, I got to be a little more, you know, choosy this, with this stuff. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I got, I'm like, I got to eliminate something so, from here. So what's funny is I would agree that's probably my least favorite song on the album. So I'm with you on there. But it's not, it's not skippable. Honestly, for me, I play this thing all the way through. I'm not skipping it. It passed the cleaning test. If you know this podcast, you know my cleaning the house, playing the album test. I'm not going across the room and cleaning. Me, I don't think me it's neither. bad. Me neither. It's not, actually, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a skip the way. Um, what's the joint that we always make fun of where we talk about this stuff? 
It's not like a zone uh, out on God's side, for example. <laughs> or 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 Ooh. what's the Jay-Z joint that we were talking about not that long ago? It was probably I was gonna say it's off Magna Carta, but that whole well, that there's whole a lot album. that's there. That whole or, album is arguably Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all like, but, but for the people to know, like those are some of the if you're mopping the floor, if you're sweeping or whatever, and the song comes on, are you going across the room to skip the song? Yeah, okay, I'm that's going, that's the test. Zone out. I am going across the room. In fact, I'm probably deleting it off the album so I never have to hear it again. That's what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. Um, back to this. I've really enjoyed it. I love listening to all the two. It's such a good vibe, and I think this was a point I heard Bomani Jones make on his podcast upon the review of it. People have criticized the lack of lyrical depth or them not taking it seriously. This is an album where two guys are having fun with the sound. It's fun. There are lyrics in songs that are a little bit silly, and I like it. I enjoy it. Girl, you smell better than a barbecue on skate. Really, like it's not meant to be taken so seriously. And I like that it's just a fun album. And sometimes things are great for what they are. This is a good album to vibe to if you like that classic soul sound, like I do. You know, you grew up. My dad used to be playing the Shy Lights and you know Earth, Wind, and Fire. And there's all these other different pe- people that you can hear sonically in this album. You're really going to like this album and the sound. And I just think it's a really good vibe. It's short. It's a great listen. I really love listening to it. I find myself, I can't stop playing it. It's just a really good vibe. And I enjoy it for what it is. It is not a great R&B album with lyrical depth, although I'll argue there aren't that many R&B albums that are like that. Uh, but I think that it's just, it's fantastic sonically. Like, that's the one thing I think you can't take away from it. It's called Silk, Silk Sonic and Evening with Silk Sonic by Silk Sonic. But sonically, this album is fantastic. Like, the drumming by Anderson is great. The instrumentation is good. The vocals are good. Where I agree with Brian in terms of Anderson leading maybe more with verses, and he did this on some songs. Uh, like, uh, After Last Night, I think it's a good example of that, where Anderson's leading more. And then you've got Bruno on the bridges where he really stands out and shows his powerful vocal ability. But I thought Anderson vocally on this is good. There's songs where you're getting a little bit of rapping, like Fly Fly Like Me, which my daughter loves. She can't stop playing that on repeat. She absolutely loves that one. So I, I think this is a really good album. And I'm excited they delivered something good. I kind of almost wish they had just dropped it out of the blue. Because I think what happens is you get people with their expectations for sound or people probably want this to sound more like Malibu mixed with 24 karat gold. And I just love that these guys actually just went into an era and a sound and made this pastiche album that actually is really good. I think it's really, really good. I, in my opinion, this is the best project I've heard in any genre all year. This is album of the year status for me. Woo! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this. I mean, there's nothing. Spoiler alert for next year's, uh, next month's rather uh, awards where we do best non hip hop album. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I I mean, there was something else I had that was there, and this passes it by, not by a lot. And I'll get to, we'll get to that. But I, this is kind of a spoiler alert for that. But I think this is my favorite non hip hop album thus far this year, barring something else coming out. Or when Adele drops, which I will take a listen to and hear that as well too. We'll see what goes on with that. But as far as non hip hop, yeah, this this has probably got the cake uh, thus far this year. I'm loving the album, man. I I don't really have too much to say now. I know you read uh, the, the Pitchfork review. I know you saw Brian got right. Got it right here in front of me. Yeah, they they gave the album a six point four out of ten. I think they're tripping. 
And I and I hate to say this, but sometimes when people do these stuff, like I want to know how much you know about this genre. Like how much do you know about classic soul sounding music? Right. And for a lot of people who may not like the sound, I'm like, if you don't love that sound, that's cool. I, people don't listen to music all in the same way. But when people review sometimes and say certain things, I just wonder how much they know about the specific genre. This is also a recurring thing with Pitchfork in particular. Yes, and, we know and, this from you. And, and, and some people have said it's because the way they rate albums, it's sort of an aggregate score from all the people who rate them or whatever, which I don't like. I don't see how it makes sense, though, that most of your albums just landed that six to seven range then. And mm -hmm. it seems they, they, that they undervalue a lot of albums that people generally hold in pretty high regard. We've talked about this as it relates to King's Disease last year. We've talked about this as it relates to other albums. And to see this at a 6.4 is, uh, you know, I, I would say I disagree. You know what I mean? I would say, like, if this was in that... 80, 85 range. And if you wanted to go higher than that, that's fine. It sounds like Dexter is. I'm higher, I'm higher than that. Um, yep. But like, yeah, then I would see that and be like, okay. But because I see 6.4 and I see Pitchfork, then it is what it is. And I've also seen projects like, I'm trying to remember which album it was, but it was an album I enjoyed. And I went to see, like, I went to look up the reviews out of curiosity to see what people were saying. And I would see like a 6 out of 10, but then the review itself is mostly positive, which lends itself to the aggregate score theory or whatever that we were talking about before. But I don't know. I'm looking, I was reading through the review and, you know, uh, I, I didn't really think much of it because it's, you know, it's a review for this album at a 6.4. And I, as I said, Pitch, Pitchfork is a repeat offender in this regard, no matter whose byline is actually on it. It just seems to be sort of the same theme. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Pitch T had a bar for Pitchfork not that long ago also, so I remember. I, I usually, yeah. <laughs> I usually, like, don't, when I when something like this comes out, movies, shows, uh, music specifically, I generally stay away from reviews. Uh, whether I like or dislike something, I like to sit with it for a while, and then then I'll maybe go and look. So today was the first day after sitting this album for I'll listen first, to be clear. I'll listen yeah, first. Yeah, I have to then, listen yeah. multiple times to see how I'm feeling about things. And it's funny. I, so one of the things that I do that I do trust uh, in terms of album reviews or I will look at is I tend to look a little bit sometimes at uh, Metacritic. I will, I will look at from time to time. Yep, yep. And I like to see like just the aggregate score of all different people who reviewed it. And so I just, as we're doing this podcast, I just decided to look up on Metacritic, which I generally like to see what people come together and they make an average score. The average score for Metacritic right now is an 88 from all the people that reviewed it. That's universal acclaim. And that's based on nine critic reviews. And the user score, which Metacritic also shows, is a 9 out of 10. That's really on par with where I have the wow. album. Okay. I, I, I have it in that sort of 88 is fine, 9 out of 10 range is fine. It is not by means a perfect album by any means, nor does it have to be. For something to be really great and enjoyable music, it doesn't have to be um, perfect. It doesn't have to be really deep. I don't think I don't think so. Just some of the scores I see. Rolling Stone gave it an eighty. New York Times gave it an eighty. Uh, New Musical Express, a hundred. Variety ninety three. Consequence ninety one. Entertainment Weekly eighty three. And All Music seventy. So yeah. Um, wow. Some 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 user gave it a zero, and then they wrote their review in Spanish. Um, I'm not going to Google Translate that, but. <laughs> 
yeah, people are going to have different opinions, but it seems to thus far I have an idea of what that might say in Spanish, though. You help me out. I have to send that to you. Um, people, people, it seems to be getting, you know, pretty good reviews overall. I just think there's going to be some people, based on expectations, they're going to want it to be this or want it to be that. But I think for what it is, it's really damn good, and it's really enjoyable, and this, I'm somebody, I might be a little biased. I, again, like I said from the top, I love this sound. I love that era of music and that sound. So having somebody put a sort of fresh spin on it is really dope to me. Like that, that I like. And I look, one thing I will say, Brian, that you said is I want to see, I want to hear more from these guys. I think they got good energy together. I think they got good chemistry together. I think DeMille, who works with uh, Bruno Mars as a producer, is really good. The production on this was great. I'd like to see more. It's funny, one of the last lyrics on the album, on what's probably might be my favorite song on the album. I really like the last song, Blast Off. I think it's a fantastic song. Um, they, you know, they ask the question, can we take it higher? And it's like, yeah, I think they can take this higher. I think they can do better. I think they had fun with this, but they could still do something that's funky, that's soulful, and it could be deeper or put more of their spin. But I love that they had fun with this album and they went back to a sound that I think is really dope. So salute to Silk Sonic, man. I, I like what they did here. And we talked about this being a pastiche. I do want to see, so Sky Zoo's done like Ode to Reasonable Doubt. I would like yes. to see, I would like to see some, some hip hop artists, you know, do, do like Elmatic when Elzai did Elzai, it years ago. fantastic. Right. I would like to see people, it doesn't have to be like that, you know, extreme or that, exact right it doesn't have to be like remaking an album or a tribute to an entire album but yeah i would like to see you know samples and guys sort of get back to that and things of that nature like this is obviously heavy heavily influenced by that time and sampling is something in hip-hop that is not you know where it was before like there are some people obviously like dj premier is always going to sample okay there are certain underground artists if you're affiliated with army of the pharaohs you're going to have beats come to you that are going to be sampled often and influenced by the Boom Bap era, et cetera, et cetera. Joey Badass with Static Selecta, uh, which we've talked to Static Selecta up here about. Like, I want to see, uh, you know, sort of sampling come back in that way as it, as it relates to hip hop. So this album, the Silk Sonic album, helped me think of that too. Like, I want to see versions of this in rapping. And uh, I don't feel like we're getting a lot of that where we could. Yeah. There are talented people, uh, people talented enough to do it. Yeah, I think that people tell, it's funny, it, it's a good point you bring up, like, why have we gone to see more of this album and rap albums and maybe people going back to earlier sounds where it's the gritty drums of the 90s and doing that. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the last person. And just person better beats. Just better beats. Also, Yeah, just better beats. I, I think the last person that did it where, like, I liked what they did was Joey Badass with 1999, obviously in 2012, kind of going back to that, that grimy New York sound, but giving his own fresh spin on it. Um, Static Selector's you know, album last year. Last year did it. I think obviously Kendrick with the Pimp a Butterfly and going back to the influencing jazz and funk, which really had him. That's more innovative because that really hadn't been done before in hip hop. Yeah. So I like that. But I do hear you on people going back to sounds. I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, Action Bronson, somebody who's done this a little bit, but I wouldn't mind seeing some people rap over some classic soul style beats or mm. people going back to what we heard of sound in the early 2000s, sped up soul samples and somebody maybe making something of that era with more of a fresher sound maybe adding some trap drums under that i'd love to see that kind of experimentation of somebody trying to hit a sound of a particular era in hip-hop but putting their own fresh spin on it yeah that, that would be interesting for somebody to do 
Mad Lib did it with Bandana really well. That was a, yep. a very recent example where, and shit, I would even say Alfredo, you know, with the Alchemist, he did it there as well. But Mad Lib and Bandana in particular, like that was one of those albums. As soon as I was done listening to it, like I went on YouTube and then I looked up because you knew somebody was going to have the compilation of all the samples Mad Lib used. And on YouTube, it's out. And I'm actually going to watch that again soon because I want to I wanna re-listen to that album. But yeah, stuff like that. Like, And I'm excited for shit whenever that project comes out between Freddie Gibbs and Madeline because they're supposed to have a third, although it looks like Freddie Gibbs is going to release something else before them uh, called So Sold Separately. So we'll see. All right. We'll see. Look, man, if you haven't listened to the album, check it out. I really enjoy it. Brian enjoys it. Uh, other people have, and you know, let us know what you think uh, about Soul Sonic album. But I have a feeling I'll be bl- bumping this for quite some time. Gonna leave the door open on this album, that's for sure. Backpack Broadcasting continues to bring you the best original sports content, but now you can get more of the content you love. For as little as $3 a month, you can get access to bonus content, including behind-the-scenes footage and interviews from the Sports Walk, Sideline Stories, or the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast. All this exclusive content comes via Patreon. There are tiered levels of patronage, and each Backpack Broadcasting patron receives exclusive perks. Your support helps Backpack Broadcasting create more of the original content that you love. Visit Backpack Broadcasting's Patreon page and become a patron today. We got to talk about the New York Mets. I don't talk about the New York Mets. What is going on with the New York Mets front office, Brian? They can't get anybody in their GM search. And the front office has been a mess for a variety of And they reasons. finally just did last night, apparently. They offered the job to somebody, right? Yes. But for this time, they could, I'm forgetting the guy's part of me. I'm forgetting your name from the Kevin Angels. Kevin Epler. Kevin Epler from the Angels uh, offered the job to him. But, you know, they've been looking for a GM in the wake of the... Wait, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Restart. Restart the segment because I want to get the tweet. Okay. I want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I Passon uh, reported it, and I want to make sure. Yeah, and... check. Greg, actually, you could probably pull it up on the screen, the Jeff Passon tweet. Um, send, send him the link. Oh, yeah. Billy Epler. Got Billy it. Epler. All right, three. Okay. <clears throat> three, two, one. All right, we got to talk some New York Mets baseball, particularly surrounding their front office, because, Brian, I don't know about you, but what the hell is going on with the New York Mets and their front office? First of all, Throughout their GM search, which has been going on for a bit now, it seems like nobody wants to come here. They just offered the job to Billy Epler of the Angels last night before we are recording this. But, and we'll get into the, the, the other issues that are going on with this team. But for a team that just got new ownership last year with Steve Cohen taking over the team, Sandy Alderson is president. They're trying to get a GM. They've offered it to a bunch of people. And people don't want to come here. And this was a quote from the general manager's meeting from Sandy Alderson. Admittedly, there's a reluctance to come to New York, but I think it's mostly about New York and not about Steve or the organization or what have you. It's a big stage. and Some people would prefer to be elsewhere. Man, I don't know if I buy that. That I don't buy any of that. That sounds too simple to me. Because here's the thing. 
it's very to me it's pretty alarming when you can't get a gm after a year of new ownership yeah like that that like there's more here i i, I just don't think people want to work with steve cohen in that way perhaps because that's what it sounds like to me thank you greg for pulling up the tweet billy epler is finalizing an agreement to be the new general manager of new york yep of new york mets per jeff Passon last night uh epler 46 previously the gm of the los angeles angels spent 10 years with the new york yankees ascending to assistant gm uh under brian cashman i would suppose and let's finally have their guy uh john Heyman says so look i think that one, I don't know if this is a good hire. I honestly don't. I, like, I can't. I, like, I can't really call it right now. This is not something that super excites me. But it's also GM, whatever. To me, ownership is significant here. And last year, Marcus Stroman, when he mm-hmm. accepted his qualifying offer, and we didn't think he was going to do that, and it was for mm-hmm. around eighteen million, give or take. He had said, "Can't wait to play for you, sir." Whatever to Steve Cohen, something along those lines, and it was about. You know, the energy that he infused, he being Steve Cohen, uh, owner of the Mets now, infused to the team and Marcus Stroman wanting to be with him and be with the organization. And I hope the Mets keep Marcus Stroman, by the way, because he's a free agent. And now we're less than a year later, and it's been a struggle to get a general manager. And I think people are people just would rather not perhaps work with Steve Cohen. That's what it seems like to me. Because why else would you not be able to get a GM for the New York Mets? I don't think it has much to do with the New York market because it's a team also, by the way, that could win now on paper. So where I agree with you is I don't I think that's bullshit, right? I think Sandy's comments is bullshit. Like I don't think this has anything to do with the New York market at all whatsoever. But what do we always talk about, B? You gotta look at culture, right? And the front office culture for the Mets recently has looked kind of shaky, all right? If you don't remember, the Mets had to fire former GM Jared Porter for sending explicit, unsolicited text messages to a female reporter, right? That was in January of this year, okay? Then was this, I believe this was August. Let me double check on this. Yes, this was in August. They had to dismiss uh, general manager Zach Scott after the DUI arrest. They officially dismissed him in November but he was on leave from back in August. And if you're trying to come for this job... Mickey Calloway, too, by the way, Dax. Mickey Calloway, forgot about him. That that stuff came out after he was already gone, but apparently he had done some inappropriate stuff while he was here. That says the culture's not good. It's not attractive. And so when people come in, if it was me, and I might want the job with the New York Mets. I've never been a general manager. It doesn't matter if you want that. But you go into any job right now, and I say this to other people, you should go in trying to see what this culture is. What's the culture about? And if the culture is not good, that's going to have a huge impact on your decision to be there or not be there at all. And if one of the questions, I'm sure people who want to be in good work cultures, if they're going for the Mets GM job, they're asking is like, all right, this is how things were. When Scott was there, this is how things were when Jared Porter was there. What has changed? That's a fair question. Are a lot of the people, same people still around? Mm-hmm. That's a fair question. If you've worked in poor workplace culture, one of the things you'll realize is the people at the top, they don't, one, really see that as poor, but they'll keep certain people around them. 
that's what causes stuff not to change. Trust me, I know this. Causes yeah. stuff not to change. They keep yep. people around them. It keeps them safe. And I'm not saying that's all to Sandy, but somebody might say, I don't want to work under Sandy because this happened under his watch. Who's accountable for that? So don't give me the nonsense about it's the market and this and that. No. You have talented people. Theo Epstein was like, nah, I want to do this. I don't want to come here. So you've got to start asking yourself why. Because Theo Epstein doesn't think he can handle New York. He went for, he's, he's been a GM in Boston and Chicago. Those are two baseball crazed markets. I think he could have handled the Mets. Yeah. I think yeah. so. So you got to ask yourself why. But when you want to truly change, you have to do the work and ask yourself the real questions is why does anybody want to come here? And I think you have to look no further than the culture. The culture hasn't been good in the front office. I think things have changed in terms of Steve Cohen with the ownership. But what did we say? I, Brian, I talked to you about this last time, last year. So I was like, look, man, they got a clean house. I actually really think the Mets have to do that. I said they should have done that when Cohen bought the team. Clean house. Mm-hmm. Y'all got rid of Rojas. He's now going to be a third base coach with the Yankees. You're going to need a new manager. Get a he new manager. He wasn't the problem, by the way. He, I don't think so either. Yeah. Get a new manager, new general manager, clean house completely. With this new ownership, clean house completely. And I think that's a big part of the reason people don't want to come here because they saw the new ownership come in, but they didn't clean house completely. So on the outside, for people looking at jobs, they're thinking same old Mets. And with the stuff that's gone down with people who are in the general manager position, not seeming to do the right thing, and a manager of Mickey Calloway, which Brian brought up, not doing the right thing, I'd be asking what has changed too. Having a new GM and not having them hire the coach is also something that, like, I mean, look, yep. if you're a Jet fan, you know from this market it did not work out with John Idzik and Rex Ryan. I think they had another situation later on a few years down the line where they, you know, GM and head coach came at different times where the head coach came first. And you got to have the GM pick the head coach and all this nonsense. Like, we're very familiar with dysfunction in the city. And right now the Mets finally have a GM. But also this ultimately comes, and Greg just posted on the screen a second ago, this effectively becomes a trade. Billy Epler for Noah Syndergaard, who's now going to the Angels for one year, $21 million. And to be honest with you, I'm fine with that because I'm not. I think I think I'm not. I'm I'm fine with that from a baseball perspective. I'm not fine with it for what it sort of signals uh, culture wise and things like that because it is true. Noah Syndergaard did want to be a Met, uh, really embraced being here. The Mets are in a position where they need a pitcher now. I just don't think Noah Syndergaard is that reliable. And I've said from the very beginning, he throws too fucking hard and wants to keep throwing too hard, and he's going to blow his arm out by the time he's thirty something years old. He's almost 30, and he hasn't really been all that good in a couple of years. So, and we haven't even seen him pitch consistently since like pre-COVID. So, okay. I'm I'm cool with him leaving from that regard. Now, you couldn't you couldn't give him one year, twenty one million dollars. That's you the couldn't thing, give him though. a year. See, but that's the well, thing. well, what is a year and twenty one million dollars for fucking Steve Cohen? Right. That's the that, but that's where the issue is for me. Like, I'm okay with him not being there if the deal was three years and like 80 million or something absurd like that. And I was, I'm like, okay, they're not going to give it to him, whatever, whatever. And in fairness, I'll say, look, I'll wait and see what else they do because I, this is more of an issue to me if they don't keep Marcus Stroman and Marcus Stroman deserves, and is probably going to get something in the neighborhood of five years and a hundred million, four years, 80 million, whatever the case may be. I think he's looking for something along those lines. And I think he's entitled to do so given the climate we're in shit. He's been better than Noah Syndergaard because at least he's been out there. (laughs) 
Um, but now it's like, what does this sort of signal, you know, bigger than that? And that's that's a bit of an issue for me because it was just a one year sort of balloon payment. And uh, Steve Cohen, here's my thing with him. He has said repeatedly, and I knew this was going to happen because he he got the team. He was all hype. He was on Twitter doing the fucking, you know, quote unquote, relatable thing. Then the game stops. Shit, ha- shit happens. And I was I remember telling Dexter both probably on and off this podcast. I was like, yo, he's going to have to stop this Twitter shit because he's not going to this is not going to be a sustainable thing. He got off Twitter for a while. Now he's back on. I don't hear about his tweets nearly as much now. I don't know what he's been doing there, but it's not as impactful, let's say. And then on top of that, it's like, dude, you said money wasn't going to be an issue. That's the one. That's the main thing I took from his presser, because him as a Met fan, uh, him trying to be the anti Wilpons. It's like you said money is not going to be an issue. Okay, so let's see, because I thought that last year's offseason, while they got Francisco Lindor, I still think that's going to work out. And shit, he could win a gold glove. Uh, And he was picking it up toward the end of the year. That was like your only big move last year. And I think this year it's like, yo, I'm expecting multiple sizable moves. Like, I need you to be in the game for Carlos Correa. Starling Marte is not going to be enough for me. I need to see what other pitcher are you going to get. Is Robbie Ray going to be an option? You know what I mean? Like what, Look, what we need, we need that to not be, are you going to keep Michael Conforto or are you going to get a different outfielder? Like that, listen, ha- this has to go dog. Like look, you said, you said I, it yourself. I agree with you on all of that. And you're right. When you don't make this kind of move, take a one year flyer and send a guard. Ha- screw it. Give him 21 mil for the one year. He looked all right when he pitched in a, whatever the limited amount he pitched in September. Okay. Go ahead. Let him go. Who cares? If money's not an option, this is the move you make. Because you know what this looks like? Some Wilpon shit. It looks like some Wilpon shit. It does. Yeah. You couldn't, you, you couldn't just give him the year and the $21 million and say so we let him go to the Angels? Like, it's a flyer. You already have him. He wanted to be here. Whatever. He's pitching rotation. Best case scenario, he stays healthy, pitches good. He's a good number two. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. It only costs you a year. What the hell? You're paying Robinson Cano anyway, and nobody wants him near the team next year. So I don't understand that. Where I'm with Brian on this 100% is Brian's right. You, if here's my thing with moves. If you don't make it, if you're saying you're, you're going to let Syndergaard walk, okay. You got to explain that. And what's the better option? You got to go get me something better. Because what our producer, Greg, just sent us a message, said the rotation's not good enough to just be letting him walk. I agree. The rotation's not good enough to let Marcus Stroman walk. I think they got to bring him back. And they got to go something else. Be in the, you better be in the market for Correa to, for, for this team. You better be in the market to add another outfielder because I think a lot of Mets fans don't want to see Michael Conforto back. You have to actually go out and make the moves and show that you want to win. The talk, the Twitter, the tweets is over. We don't care about that anymore, right? And the other thing that we know, I think two things that the Mets fans are going to care about, changing the culture and actually spending the money to win. That's what it comes down to. Changing yep. the culture and spending money to win. Don't give me the Twitter. Fi- we don't care about the Twitter finger stuff no more. It's done. It's done. Social media stuff is all that's nice. You're putting it out there. It shows you're interested. What you you got to go get it done this offseason. Lindor, great start. I'm with Brian. No problem with the offseason last year. But this is concerning. I'll least say for now. I could be wrong. And we could be sitting here five weeks from now. We'll see how things go with the CBA and everything with baseball. We can be sitting here five, six weeks from now smiling because we have Correa and we got Robbie Ray or whatever might happen. 
could feel good. But right now, to me, we're just saying it's shut up and prove time. Not tweet and more tweet time. Shut up and prove. But right now, the way I feel right now, every Met fan I've talked to about this is like, what? And yes, it feels like some Wilpon stuff. It does. And I don't think Mets fans want to deal with that again. And it's like, get your house in order. The front office isn't good. It's a mess. You can barely get anybody get in here. No disrespect to the guy who they're going to hire from the Angels, but I didn't know who he was. I don't think a lot of people knew who he was. They got it. They got to clean up. And I think for Mets fans, this is frustrating. I think fans can deal with losing, but you want to see a change in that culture. You want to see a strong change in that culture. And I don't think you're going to attract, I don't care what business it is. Brian, you know this. You work for a place and the place isn't good. What are you telling the next person that might want to try to work there that hollers at you? Oh, fucking come here. There you go. (laughs) And I, listen, 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 listen. I did that. Okay, and I've done that. You know what I mean? Damn I've right. done that throughout the course Damn of my right. life. I've like I've had people ask me, yo, like I see you're doing stuff with them. How would not any place that I'm currently working with, by the way. I want to put that out there. Because I, I wouldn't be working with them if that's the case, right? But previous stops, and really one in particular. I've had multiple people ask me, uh, what's it like being there? Is that a place? And I'm just like, no, no. No, Yo, you don't. You don't like, want to do this. <laughs> you and, don't and, even finish the sentences. I'm like, and, listen, and, if you, it, it's about what you prioritize. If you prioritize X, Y, Z, then okay, maybe you can, you know, sort of thug it out here. But if you really prioritize A, B, C, and X, Y, Z is going to make you miserable, then no. And to your point, if Noah Syndergaard is willing to leave, then. You know, perhaps that that's saying something because there was noise about him potentially just accepting the qualifying offer and giving it a one year prove it deal. The twenty one right. million is uh, more than his qualifying offer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's like, yo, would he not have taken a two for forty with an option or something like that? If that's the case, or two for forty two, whatever the case may be. I don't know. There's there's going to be more that we have to learn. But at Dex, as you said, uh, we could be. You know, the winter meetings are from December sixth till 9th in Orlando, Florida. Um, Shit, we could even go live if we want to and bring on well, if well if Well, if that happens, because the whole collective bargaining stuff might be on the 1st and the winter meetings are threatened to be canceled. It is December 1st, yes. It is is due by December 1st. But we'll we'll see. We may may have winter meetings a few weeks from now, and we could be looking back uh, at the end of the year and talking about, hey, you know, the Mets did. They, They got Carlos Correa and Robbie Ray or, you know, somebody else and whatever the case may be and then we're okay but being a met fan uh it doesn't appear that we're uh, projected to go that route so we'll see well look all i'll say to that is there's reason to be concerned there's legitimate reason to be concerned especially when so many people are turning down the job to be gm of the new york mets i'm not saying it's gm of the new york yankees or gm of the boston red sox but it's still should be an attractive job in a big market and i just think it says a lot when people are like No thanks. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics. 
presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports because there is so much beyond the game and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. Giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. It's been a month into the NBA season. You know how this stuff goes, Brian. Some people are high on this team. Some people are getting too high. A little thing happens. I've seen it with the Knicks fan base. They start 5-1. and one. They're now 8-6. and six. Everybody's ready to jump out the window. It, you got to calm down. But what have you taken from this first month of play, about 13, 14 games or so, into the NBA season? Uh, who are you impressed with? Who are you concerned about? Who do you think is absolutely done? That means the Rockets and the Pelicans. Uh, I don't think there's really any need to believe that. And the Minnesota Timberwolves. Can we fucking stop with that shit? Oh, they're done? You think they're done? Yeah. Come on, man. Four and nine already. I'm just like, yo. After after a three and one start, I might add, which people were very high on. I want to start with the t- the same shit happened last year. I remember we can Andrew, start, we can start you can start with the Timberwolves. Andrew Wiggins had the big game against the Heat, and everybody was no. This was two years ago. Two years Andrew, ago, not Andrew last Wiggins year, right. had the had the big game against the Heat, and oh, is Andrew Wiggins finally you know going to make it to the next level? Whatever the case may be, I think it was the first or second year of his max extension, uh, second year, and I was just like, no, this isn't going to happen because kind of like we were just talking about the Mets and the Mets being the Mets and Mets and doing Mets shit. The Timberwolves are kind of in the same vein. They're the Timberwolves, and they're going to just do Timberwolves shit. And there was a clip surfacing from last night's game where they were losing by 23 points to the Los Angeles Clippers. And as soon as Anthony Edwards gets the ball, Carl Anthony Towns starts walking away to the defensive end to play defense as if he's going to do that. And then Anthony Edwards just crosses over, jacks up a contested shot, misses, brick, and, you know, the Clippers are off and running on the other end. And I think that we're going to, you know, look up and the Timberwolves are probably going to be a 30-win team at best. That's probably too many wins uh, or something along those lines. Again, because people get very excited about, you know, raw offensive production where it's like they don't really have anything else to offer. And I think that they're, again, going to be one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not going to be very good, which is unfortunate because they do have some very talented players on the roster. But you know. Does, anybody really know this? I found this stat out. And it's crazy. Carl Anthony Towns, who's clearly clearly the best player on the Minnesota Timberwolves, is third in shots taken on the team. Third. Yeah. You watch the games a lot of times in crunch time. This happened as Brian is mentioning in their last game before recording this against the Clippers. A lot of times, D'Angelo Russell is taking contested 20-footers and a horrible shot selection. Or, you know, Anthony Edwards, who's a young player who I actually really like, uh, is taking shots that aren't good and they aren't getting it to their best player, even when he's been cooking all game. And your best player, Carl Downs, has been liking tweets about getting them up out of here. It's Brian's right. It's over. Let's just let's just keep it moving. Let's you get should. him up out of here. By the way, you know, you know what time it is. By the way, by the way, regarding the Timberwolves, you know who else is right? Who? <laughs> Jimmy Butler. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Jimmy Butler was always right. We hey, always dog, you trying to warn y'all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Well, Jimmy Butler was right. It wasn't Tom Thibodeau's fault. We know that. Oh, they but look, look. One dude has gotten to an NBA final since the other one just won coach of the year and looks like he's gonna be back in the playoffs this year. You know, yeah. with, with by the way, with the franchise that people were scared to try to revitalize. Okay. Like Tom Thibodeau is becoming the man in New York kind of over Kevin Durant and James Harden, but that's a discussion for another day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so yeah. Look, okay. We all talk about. We, I don't know if there's ever be a show. I'm, par- we'll talk I'm, par- about I'm partially the kidding this much. Partially kidding there. Now. No, no, no. I was right. saying I don't know if there ever be a show. We'll talk about the Timberwolves this much, but we did. Yes, no. they're a team. They're, you might be a team we want to say done. There were too, uh, too, too much Timberwolves hype on podcasts before the season. Where I was like, are we really doing this? Honestly, we were people were like, people were doing it. All right, what what about the Warriors? The Warriors' best record in the league mm. right now. I feel like they look damn good. On both sides of the ball. And remember, this is without Clay. There's no James Wiseman back in the fold yet. They look good, man. I, I don't know about you, but I like what I see from the Warriors. Gerard on the NBA Exchange, our friend Gerard Hector, host seven mm-hmm. for this podcast, he said he might be willing to bet for them to win the West. Are you willing to go that far, Brian? You know, I it's, it's weird. It's kind of not that crazy when you think about it. It's yeah, not crazy. Yeah, because I'm really I like I'm thinking about it in, in this perspective, right? As I'm pulling up their numbers now. Um, just so we can like further this discussion a little bit. They're 11 and 2 first in the Western Conference. Uh they have one of the best records in the NBA. They might have the best record. They have the, the best record in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might they have the best record in the NBA at this point. Um, my concern with them was sort of their depth, but their depth was still better than you know last season, which is good. Uh, Steph Curry has been, <laughs> he's been doing Steph Curry shit. And honestly, he's only shooting 39% from three, which for Steph Curry is low. Like that's probably going to tick up and that may bring him to 30 points a game at some point of this year. I don't think betting on the, the, the Warriors is crazy to make it to the finals because when I'm looking at the Western conference, right. And I've really, I've really struggled. I really have struggled with the Western conference this year. Cause I just don't straight up don't really like if I'm one of the best teams in the East, if I'm the Bucks, the Nets, the Heat, uh, I don't know who I'm not throwing the Wizards <laughs> in there yet. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm not really scared of anybody in the Western Conference. I think the East is better, right? I'm not really scared of like whoever the top team coming out of the West. This is a different discussion if Kawhi Leonard is healthy. Wait, 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 wait. You're you're means you're not scared of the uh potential regular season champions in the West, the Utah Jazz. <laughs> anyone that's, in the that's west me, that's me trolling that anyone me. in the west um but like yeah i mean like Kawhi leonard being healthy would change this and jamal murray being healthy would change this because yes. i would have hold i would have held the clippers and the nuggets in highest regard in any order probably clippers one nuggets two if they were healthy i think if Kawhi leonard is healthy last year they potentially beat the suns right like i think that potentially swings a series because it's Kawhi leonard we're talking about as good as the Suns were. So yeah, I, I don't like I don't dislike that bet at all. Um, I'm not sure if I feel great about it, but if I know that Jamal Murray is not gonna come back till later and Kawhi Leonard, we have no idea, but n- neither of them are gonna be hundred percent and probably on a minutes restriction. Yeah, I mean I'm fine, I'm totally fine with somebody picking the Warriors uh, to go to the finals. No, no, I I can see that. Last thing on the NBA, who do you think is the best team in the East? Because I, cause I feel like Brooklyn started to get it together. They're playing pretty well. Their role players have been looking good. Philadelphia, a lot of injuries and COVID has hit that team after they were playing pretty good without Ben Simmons. The Wizards, you sound like you don't believe in them yet. I will be talking about the Wizards on the NBA Exchange on Friday with a guest 
So that will be interesting if we're, we're getting into the nobody beats the Wiz craze yet. Hopefully people pump the brakes on, on that. But shout out to our guy Spencer Dinwiddie down in uh, D.C. doing his thing. Um, the East is, I agree with you, the East is damn good. Teams, some teams have shown some stuff. The Bucks have had injuries. We should mention them too. The Hawks are off to a slow start, although they've just won two in a row. The East is tough. Chicago, I'm still not super sold on them defensively, uh, but they won games with some defense. It's been impressive. Who do you like in the East? A lot of people like a lot of people like the Bulls right now. Um, a lot yeah. of people like the Timberwolves too. Yeah, if you, you know what, yeah, I mean they're better than the Timberwolves. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, but but, but but I like my thing with the Bulls and the same thing with the Wizards. I. And the Wizards in particular, they're like really good defensively so far. I don't think that that's going to sustain itself long term necessarily. Um, I was pretty like I like the Wizards coming into the season. I remember thinking like, yeah, they have a good shot at the play in my Cleveland Cavaliers, which has one of, been one of my favorite teams to watch. I look Darius Garland. I love Darius Garland the way he runs that point guard position uh, for the Cleveland Cavs. He's becoming my kind of guy. Um, I do want him to improve defensively. But I very much we might see Darius Garden on an O'Brien team uh, in the future, so we'll see. We'll see if we can get we can go that route. The Bulls are very fun to watch offensively. Very fun to watch offensively. Mm-hmm. I have concerns about their defense, yes, but I also have concerns about them in the playoffs in general. Because as I'm watching them, the shot creation, ball movement, and everything is good. I love what Alex Caruso's done uh, defensively there in particular. He's become one of my favorite perimeter on the ball defenders in the NBA. And I think that the Lakers should have kept him over Taylor Horton Tucker. But I just am not sure like how this is going to look in the playoffs, but we have a long way to get to before that. I think the bull, I think the bulls are legit to a point, right? I I still want to see like what the discussion is, you know, they're 10 and four. So let's see after the next uh, 14 games or whatever the case may be, the wizards are 10 and three. I mean, look, we'll see. Right. Like Montrose House playing great. <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie, who, you know, we like up here. He's been as good as I thought he was going to be in Washington. Bradley Beal got off to kind of a slow start and they were still winning all these games, which, you know, says something. Um, I, I think that the Nets and Heat are probably and the Nets, Heat and Bucks are still the top three teams to me. Nets, Bucks, then Heat and then, uh, you know. Kind of everybody else after that. Else after that, right? I, yeah, yeah I, I, I think so. Look, it's kind of like what you said to put a bow on this. First month of the NBA season, we got a lot more to go. We'll see. You don't know that much. You can say mm-hmm. some people look good, and you can't say some, some teams are definitively look bad. But there's still a lot of stuff in the middle, and we will see. One time for your mom. One time. One time for your mom. One time. One time for your mind before we get out of here today. Got some interesting stuff to talk about. I want to talk about something that has changed on YouTube that I find to be rather interesting. And Brian's going to talk about a vaccine, but not the one that Kyrie isn't taking. Brian, take it away. <laughs> There's a story on the Telegraph uh, out, in the, out in London, the UK, uh, that I found very interesting. It's a vaccine against Alzheimer's disease, which you know, is one of the worst of the diseases, uh, which is saying a lot because they're diseases after all. A vaccine against Alzheimer's disease uh, could be on the horizon after scientists carried out successful trials in animals. This is from a tweet from The Telegraph again. Researchers were able to reverse memory loss in mice and are keen to move quickly to human trials. And then there's some more information. So I think this is a story that people should check out. It's, 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 it's on Twitter. 
um, you know, to sort of read more from this, the vaccine trains the immune system uh, to fight a type of sticky amyloid beta protein in the brain. It accumulates in people with dementia, preventing communication between neurons. So that's pretty fascinating. And Dex, as we were talking about this a little bit mm-hmm. beforehand, uh, like it reminds me amid all the craziness, like, yo, the science is going to improve. We just have to believe in it because there are a lot of people, as we learned, are very anti-science for certain things. But I bet you there are people who probably don't want the COVID vaccine who, if a relative got Alzheimer's, sign me up, right? They would, they would, they would, jump, at, they would jump at this shit uh, if it proves that this will work out. So I was very impressed because this is what, like, we, we think about cancers and certain diseases as things that are, like, irreversible and things that we can't do nothing. When it's like, we have to remember sometimes, like, yo, there are a lot of people ground on the ground uh collecting money for donations and actually putting it into the research and things like that like i'm not saying we're gonna definitively find cures like you know right away or potentially you know you know within the next few years or whatever the case may be but it looks like we're gonna make movement on some of this stuff i feel like in our lifetimes hopefully because uh you know this shit has been kicking our ass for a while um we you know we both have had relatives that dealt with stuff like this um and to read another tweet here like Last one I'll read. Now scientists have discovered that in people with dementia, the protein folds itself into a hairpin-like structure uh, Mm. and becomes a much more dangerous form of amyloid. Professor Mark Carr explained, quote, this structure had never been seen before in amyloid beta. So uh, look, we're making some progress, legitimate progress. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully that happens and people should check out that story on the Telegraph because I thought it was very fascinating. Yeah, that is fascinating. Prog- progress in science is good, even though some people disagree. Progress in science is good. Uh, what I'm going to talk about today is I found this out uh, and I think is really interesting. Look, many of us know whether it's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, even Twitter as well, too. You know, like buttons or like reactions matter. But on places like YouTube, where you also have the dislike button, which sometimes I always felt the dislike button could be a good thing to tell people they're doing some whack shit, but then some people take it too far, right? Like they dislike stuff that you might have the content is good, like on YouTube. And this is me specifically talking as a content creator. For example, we might put out this podcast on YouTube. When we do, we might talk about a specific subject and we might've done a great job talking about the subject. Our producer, Greg, might have done a great job producing that segment but because somebody doesn't like the team that we're talking about, they'll hit a dislike button. Right. And that stuff affects people like engagement with like or dislikes and impact how content is promoted to users via algorithms. Um, Visible like counts may affect how users choose to engage with certain content. So it's come out that places like YouTube are experimenting. They've already experimented with and YouTube has already announced this, that they are going to make its dislike counts invisible to users. So they're not taking the dislike button away, but they're going to make it invisible to users across the entire platforms. And why? Because they experimented with the earliest year and they found that the people were less likely to harass users by intensely disliking videos when the counts were invisible. It also found that the dislike button was used to disproportionately target smaller channels and newer creators which is interesting for many people if you've probably tried to get stuff going on YouTube, right? Like tried to build it, building up your audience as we have here at Backpack Broadcasting, you may find some obstacles and challenges along the way. 
basically saying that, that they are haters. And you could also question if it's Google or YouTube themselves hating because they don't want to give people a lot of money. This messes up the funds for a lot of people. So I like this because there's some psychology behind it in that it dissuades people from going to this point. But to some degree, I just ask people like, dislike stuff that actually isn't good content. You don't have to hate on it. You know, you just, you don't have to do that. Just if it's not good content, if it's detrimental to others or hating on other people and that's bad, yeah, go dislike it. But if it's just because you don't like a team, like we, Brian and I had an episode, I believe this was early, this was earlier this year where we spoke about some of the insecurities of fans of the other basketball team in New York City and people got in their feelings and, you know, we saw some dislikes on the YouTube version of our podcast, not because it was a bad podcast, but just because they didn't like about we talked about how certain fans were in their feelings. You know what? You're caught. But we, 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 yeah. we, we don't have to do that. I, I wonder, with all this being said, how much this changes in the way people like content. Like, are we going to get a wave of other reactions, like angry faces on Facebook or sad faces like Facebook going to be behind on all this stuff for to yeah. Be <laughs> I think it's interesting that YouTube is sort of leading on this, and they actually had experimented and they have data well, on this, right? So it's 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 kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see where this goes forward with social media, especially for content creators. Remember, Instagram also is giving you uh, sort of a pathway to where you yourself could get rid of the likes on your posts, which I've seen people do. Our homie uh, Naomi Gray does that on her posts, which I think is smart. Um, look, I I just think that this sort of really captures that motherfuckers can't be trusted. And y'all be on your phones looking at all this shit and just be petty and disliking shit and just like we just can't be trusted with any of this stuff. We have way too much access, you know, to each other, this content, et cetera, et cetera. Way too much power to where we can actually, uh, you know, dislike all these things. And the shit is annoying. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, this hopefully this 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 gets better because, you know, we're we're seeing more conferences about people talking about how, hey, social media is actually not good for your mental health. But we're all so sucked in that a lot of people don't want to get out of it. So, you know, this is why I don't care about having uh, but so many Twitter followers. So just what it is. People are in too deep. There'll be a lot more talk about this with social media. But if you like this episode of Ain't Hard Tell Podcast 201, please hit that like button. We will greatly appreciate that. If you really, really like us, you should really, really support us. And the best way you can do that is via Patreon. Or you can also check the Backpack Broadcasting Twitter. We're now taking tips, donations via our Venmo account. Support the Ain't Hard Stuff Podcast. Donations. Support the Sports Walk. Gifts. <laughs> support. <laughs> support the NBA exchange, support sideline stories. You can do that. And we have to obviously thank our current patrons who do support us and do help us create this content that we love to do so often and throughout the month and especially doing this year, 2021. And also as we've done throughout the entire pandemic. So we thank you, all our patrons who have supported. We appreciate you so much. But like I said, you can, Definitely hit that like button. It's not wrong to do that. Hit that dislike button, then you're just a hater. We know that. We know you're just a hater. All right. That's it for episode 201 of the A Heart Cell Podcast. He's Brian Fonseca. I'm Dexter Henry. The culture here seems like it's better than the Mets front office. And, uh, you know, enjoy that Silk Sonic album. Until next time, y'all. Peace.